Hi everyone, this is Angela Ye, and you're listening to Designing Futures. Um, if you are a subscriber and an avid listener, welcome back. And if you're new to this podcast, I hope you enjoy what you're about to listen to. You know, some of you may know this podcast is brought to you by Thrive by Design and Yay Ideology. Thrive by Design is our masterclass program developed to empower design professionals and creative leaders like you. Throughout our program and our sessions, we help people understand and unearth their highest potential and making exponential impact in the industry and thus thriving in their career. Yay Ideology is our talent strategy firm with a mission to help companies partner with the best talent in the industry. Through that, we are really excited for this program to bring to the table different people, different luminaries in the industry and to hear directly from them, their career path and where they've been. And today I'm incredibly excited to introduce to you, Katie Dill. Katie is a design executive with a history of building outstanding teams, fostering a customer-focused culture of excellence and delivering impact, impactful products. Her experiences span from industrial, service, and digital design, as well as user experience and business strategy. Katie's got a passion around building meaningful customer experiences through the thoughtful coordination of every touch point. And she understands great things coming from great teams and has spent her career building renowned design organizations. So um, Katie's also an active writer and speaker on design leadership and innovation. And she was named one of Fast Company's most creative people in business. Business Insider's 10 People Transferring Technology in 2019 and Girls in Tech. Creators of the Year 2019. So Katie, thank you so much for coming in and joining us today. You know, you've got a crazy busy schedule, so I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me, Angela. It's so nice to be on here with you and chatting. I love it. Um, you know, I'm going to go right into this. And, and we talked about this earlier. I meet a lot of women, I think, who in design, strategy, innovation, who in listening to them and looking at their history and their expertise, we know that they're perfectly capable, more so, I think, uh, to lead, to lead in design and leading in big corporations. And I would love to hear, you know, your, a little bit, if you can share with us your career path and how you got to where you are, your perspective of what it's like to lead as a female innovator in design. Happy to. Um, I might be biased, but I think women make really great leaders. There, you know, there certainly are natural abilities, but you know, I think at the very least, if, if you aren't biased as I don't you know, feel that like women have a, a special edge here, just simply put, there's no reason why we would be any worse at leading than uh, mm. our male counterparts. Frankly, uh, what leadership really requires is uh, a, a point of view, courage, curiosity, empathy, compassion. And I feel those skill sets map quite well to uh, any female I've met. Uh, sometimes you just need to coax it out. What I, I fear that can sometimes happen, um, and we see this across any different dynamic, uh, it could be gender, it could be demographic, uh, it could be your background, but people tend to be inspired by what's around them. They tend to take that as a sign of what, you know, what is welcome here and what isn't. 
And so, yes, unfortunately, uh, for the great part of history, uh, women often haven't had leadership roles, uh, and then others can take that to mean, well, then that's probably just not wanted here. But that is, of course, not the case. Um, and I think what we are seeing you know, more and more every day uh, is people breaking through the quote unquote glass ceiling. Uh, I feel very fortunate that when I was a child, my father in particular, perhaps he perhaps he wanted sons, I don't know, but he certainly raised my sister and I as if, you know, there was no delineation as to, you know, boys do this, girls do that. So we were chopping wood and driving tractors and snowmobiles when we were young kids. We were, you know, doing all the things that one might attribute to a different gender. And I think that started to shape my assumption that there shouldn't be any barrier that I, you know, whatever they can do, I can do too. Uh, and so that really helped me build that courage. And I recognized not everyone had that upbringing. And so sometimes we have to you know, kind of lean into building that courage for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's by building, having a mentor. Perhaps it's by listening to great podcasts from Angela Ye. Uh, perhaps it's uh, from, you know, reading books like, you know, I'm sure there's many, many more great ones since, but, you know, Lean In, for example, you know, that's one of the, yeah. the core theses there. So uh, at any rate, I, I do feel very lucky for that. And I don't think it's always something that happens naturally, but I, I do see uh, moments where uh, even just getting feedback from somebody saying like, hey, I saw you do this thing and it inspired me to do it. That really fuels me, you know, in my next step, right? When, when courage starts to wither and I get afraid of taking action, I think about, well, who might I be helping to inspire or opening the door for by putting myself out there? And so sometimes, you know, if you're feeling blocked from taking that big step, think about instead of just doing it for yourself, who, who might you be doing it for? Uh, I find that to be quite a motivator uh, to help me build that courage. I love that statement where sometimes doing it for yourself is harder. And so, so thinking about who you're, who you're setting an example for in what you're doing, right? And I, I love their upbringing. I love how you're your father that you just were chopping wood and driving tractors that actually sounds like a lot of fun you, i'm not proud yeah like mixing concrete i mean yes the things that we would do oh my um, gosh i yeah, love that yeah yeah, yeah. No, I did. I, my father was also an entrepreneur which i think really helped and mm. you know, he tells this story which is kind of hilarious in retrospect or he did tell a story my, my father unfortunately is no longer with us um, but he told the story that when I was little, I worked in his movie theater. He had a movie theater in upstate New York. It was a tiny one picture show movie theater. And I was the candy girl. And then I was the ticket person and all this stuff. And I, I was young. I mean, I was probably like 13. I mean, this is like varying on the child labor laws there, but he, uh, had me working there and I would do all sorts of things. And one day I came to him with a list of things I wanted him to do. I wanted him to fix, like, you know, we need to clean the carpet. We need to repaint the wall, do all this thing. And he looked at it and he told me, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to do this thing, but I'm not going to do this thing. And apparently as a 13 year old, I, you know, freaked out. I was like, why are you going to do all these things? We need to do all these things. And his response was like, well, I'm the boss and I don't think we need to do this. And, you know, probably not the best way to speak about this. I think what he meant is that there's other priorities, there's costs, et cetera, et cetera. You know, right now in leadership, I understand this better. Right. But right. my response at the time is like, well, then I want to be the boss. And so I think <laughs> Wait, how old were you? I think I was like 13 probably, or even younger <laughs> perhaps. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think, you know, learning also the, you know, entrepreneurial uh, kind of spirit at that age, I think also was very helpful. Uh, and so now when I'm raising my, you know, currently two-year-old uh, twin girls, I have been thinking about that. It's like, what other ways can I help to, you know, spur their, you know, sense of responsibility and ownership and courage uh, to, you know, take action and, and have, uh, a sense of impact even in their early days, probably not at two years old, but later. <laughs> yeah, there's a balance when you start to let them have it, that that uh, independence and control, right? I, yeah. you know, it's funny, you mentioned, you know, how your father said, oh, well, I'm the boss. I don't, and, and a lot of businesses, actually, a lot of business owners, managers, we're all, people are just busy. They don't think, oh, I need to tell, you know, anyone that's working for me, even family, someone on your team, right? Even the family, in fact, even a family dynamics. I, I You think how sometimes people are so busy, do we have time to tell the people on our team about what, mm. what you know, they may come to the table with an objective and you say, I've got too many big picture, you know, goals. I don't have time to talk about this. But at the same time, you, you know, you're, it's funny how right then and there, you're like, I need to be the boss. I need to take over. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, and that is a great point. I think, yes. But, you know, my, while my father was an inspiration, I don't know if that was a great uh, example of leadership. Because I guess one thing, I, and I have to remind myself that too, I'm highly impatient and I'm often like, all right, we got to move, we got to move. Like, so let me just like tell you the thing right now. But I think what we have to remind ourselves of is that, you know, if I tell somebody right now, like, hey, just don't do that thing. And I don't explain why and the thinking behind it and the impact and the ramifications, then I'm likely to have to say the thing again later about something else versus mm -hmm. if I equip them with the information, now they might be able to make those judgment calls in the future uh, without my intervention. And that I think is, you know, it's like taking a little bit more time now to save time later. I, I, I recognize like, I'm certainly not perfect at this and it you know, can be hard to remind ourselves to slow down. It also can be hard to remind ourselves that not everybody has the same information that we do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so mm -hmm. I, um, you know, we just, we take it for granted that like, oh, oh you, you already know, or you heard this thing too. And especially as organizations grow, you know, our org basically doubled last year. So, you know, what mm -hmm. people knew last year, it's almost like with that scale, each individual has potentially a smaller set of the picture, unless mm -hmm. you know, I and others try to help provide mm -hmm. that. And, and if you're leading a big team, I would imagine also, if you certainly, I think, I think design, I would, I would imagine, and this is, this is my perspective, obviously. So you tell me what you think from where you're seeing it. I think design leadership, generally, we know the value of sharing the, the goals, the initiatives, the challenges with the people on your team. In fact, other divisions so that if they have a different perspective, they can bring that to the table, right? And because when you have an organization as big as yours, you want, I think there's leadership at every level, right? That can bring yeah. value. Yeah. Well, and our organization is pretty unique in the sense that it's, it's, it's a hybrid in the way that we're organized. So we have uh, about half of our organization uh, works in a kind of embed fashion alongside engineering or product management or marketing on individual initiatives. And that's where you know, they spend most of their time. What you know, insight they might have is based on a, you know, a business area or product area. And then there's another part of our organization, about half of that 
uh, sits more centrally. And then it might work, you know, here and there with different parties, but definitely is more, you know, kind of focused in one particular area. So with that, you know, especially if, you know, I, I'm talking with my team about what are our key priorities, you know, sometimes it depends on who you're talking to and, you know, what area of the business that they're involved in. And so I, I do think that, you know, kind of like role is to both understand the nuances and the differences of what people are working on and therefore what priorities um, are going to be the most informative, but also helping to connect the dots across all these things. Like that is the reason we are one design org. We have marketing and uh, brand creative all under one roof with product design and that's somewhat unique. And why we have those things, including our website team, is that we can then help to design the end-to-end -end process for our user, the end-to-end -end journey. So from seeing an advertisement to going into the site, to going into the product, it feels mm. like it's coming from one organization versus you know what really is 15 different you know, business units essentially. And so that's the, the role of not only defining priorities, but also explaining the why and the connection points between them and, and what our role is and playing mm. our part. You know, it's like a, a, a ensemble or a, an orchestra, right? We all play different instruments, but we're trying to build something together. It's funny that you talk about that, how at Stripe, you've got your, you know, where design is embedded in with different divisions. You talked about product management, engineering, marketing, and yet there's that hub where design is also in its uh, in and of its own. I find in a lot of organ, and there's obviously in every corporation, I think there's so many different ways that this has been structured, right? That design has been yes. incorporated. There's still so many different ways, but design is a connective tissue. And I'm hearing that a lot. I mean, without this, right? Any organization, even from, especially when it's huge, right? Huge enterprise corporations. So you even see it in mid-sized corporations that are millions of dollars, millions of people. It's still as soon as you have people in one division become so siloed, even within that one division, the division subdivisions can become so siloed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, over the years in, in leading organizations, I think the one thing that I have, you know, learned about what's the right organization is that there is no perfect organization. Mm. Uh, the, the, honestly, the thing that you need to search for is like, what's the least terrible one. And the, you know, the reality is, is that there are benefits in building teams in their quote unquote silos, because that allows for focus and ownership yes. and, you know, essentially autonomy and speed. But you also do need that connective tissue. Otherwise, yeah, you know, your users are going to feel those differences between the products. And, you know, I, I can look at our products right now and say, yeah, there are seams between these moments. And so you do need, you know, essentially checks and balances or enabling, you Know, tools and processes to help greater connection. Design systems are absolutely a way of bringing connective tissue across different teams, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also do various forms of connecting on what the work is. So for the last, uh, gosh, now it's a, you know varying on 10 years, uh, any design organization I have run, I have had them do what I, you know, I call our uh, design stand-up where everybody adds a slide to a Google slide deck with a screenshot of something they're working on, whether they're a researcher or a content strategist or a designer, they're putting a screenshot of what they're working on. And then we send that out to the entire team. We send that out to you know the various leaders in the organization and the product managers. And what it is, is I mean, it's a picture tells a thousand words. So it's illuminating as to 
what is the work that's happening? What might be some of the connection points? What are the, you know, collisions that are coming or even the redundancies? Because, mm -hmm. you know, no, everyone always says like, I want to see visibility into other teams' roadmaps. It's like, well, good luck with that. You know, look at a spreadsheet <laughs> yeah, of the names of like all of the terms of like, yeah, we have this project and this project. Trying to meet Acronyms and within each sub subdivision. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so yeah. I find it, you know, people seem to really, you know, once you see it from like the user's eyes and you see that it's like, oh, like that's what you're building or those, the, that's the interface that you're touching. It is far more illuminating. Now I'm not saying like, you know, one is the only way to do it versus another. I mean, I think it's a suite of things helps right. to build those moments of connection and help to find those, you know, moments where things are colliding. Uh, but I, I'm a big fan of, you know, one design holding that you know, we're being part owners of that responsibility uh, because we are, you know, I, we're, we're here for understanding our users and helping to create the right thing for them. And, you know, the biggest part of that is you know, thinking about you know, things happen over time. It's never in a moment. No user is ever interacting with your business or your product in one discrete moment. It's a journey where they first learn about it, then mm -hmm. they consider it, and they come and use it, and then they have a problem with it, and they have to talk to support. And so unless you're looking at that whole thing, you're actually not really designing. It's fascinating of uh, how it, I, I love the way you guys put together a sliding, let every division contribute to it, right? And you're right, a picture tells a thousand words because data, data is so hard for people to con like to, to wrap their heads around sometimes. I'm here, I rem I'm remembering a story where design leadership helped different divisions realize working on the same product line where the engineering, marketing, and design were had completely different initiatives. And so they were actually incentivized to their incentives were clashing. And so just even that realization and bringing them all to the same table saved that company or that division yeah. so much. Yeah. I think we sometimes have to remind ourselves that, you know, it's not necessarily always that we have class. I mean, so I don't know that example, but you know, there, mm. there are moments where it can feel like our incentives are clashing. And mm. I actually look at it when possible, it likely is more of we have a different mindset looking at the same thing. Like we all want right. the same thing. We want to do right by our users and we want to build a business. Mm -hmm. But maybe your you know, engineer is looking at it from like a speed and a reliability standpoint. And your PM is looking at it from a, a dollars and cents standpoint. And the designer is looking at it from a user experience standpoint. And that's why we're all important. <laughs> and that's why right. we should be working together. You know, I think we just need to remind ourselves though, so it doesn't turn into like confrontation is that, hey, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and we're each going to wear a different hat to help us get there. Um, so we have to, you know, value and respect each other along that way. Um, and, you know, I do think it, it can be, you know, sometimes with a, a bit of uh, tension and that's not bad. That's, that's no, you're right. balances is working. Um, but it doesn't, uh, you know, I, I do worry about if it gets to the point of confrontation. There is a balance, right? You're right. You, you can't have every division, all every, every division, uh, having the same goals, but that is the the beauty of business if you have that perfect push and pull. Yeah. And mutual respect for the different yeah. uh, objectives, right? Yeah. And I think about how but with design, you're talking about how they're at Stripe, for instance, and at I'm I'm hearing this, and I know this from you, from actually I've know some a little anecdote from Howard. Uh, Howard Nook, who introduced me to you, and he was mentioning how years back at Frog, how, you know, he just saw you, um, gave you the reins to a project, and then you were at Intel together. 
And he said, oh my God, I gave her the reins and she just ran with it <laughs> and just <laughs> led that so beautifully. So yeah. it was just saying yeah. you could see your trajectory even back then. Well, that's sweet. Yeah, he and I worked together for I think it was five years and yeah, we did several projects while we were at Frog with Intel and uh, yes, you know, Howie how is incredible and very much um, an inspiration to this day. It, it's interesting in big corporations, right? I'm thinking about how you've had your experience from the consultancy side. So actually this would be, and this would be an interesting perspective, just your, your sense of what it's been like to be on the consultancy side, then go to corporate, you know, what did that experience give you uh, yeah. from one side to the other? Because I know both sides allows you a different vantage point. Yes. Yeah, I remember when I was uh, graduating design school, that was like the big question for the graduating class. Are you going in yes. house or are you going to consultancy? It's like, totally. It's like, which yin or yang? And, um, you know, I feel so blessed that I've had both. Uh, certainly not one moment of regret uh, because in, in some ways coming out of school, consultancy was, I mean, it was a little bit of a opportunity to somewhat try before you buy, right? You got to expo get, get exposure to a lot mm. of different organizations. Uh, and yeah. absolutely, you know, it was somewhat of a continuation of my education. Uh, some of the benefits of working consultancy is, well, one, I mean, depending on, you know, how you like to work, you, you know, you tend to be surrounded by a, a bit more of, different design skill sets, right? Like in a corporation, you are very likely outnumbered, but in a design consultancy, you are very likely the one that's outnumbered. But the, uh, you know, the, the exposure to different things is, is fabulous, especially if, you know, uh, for you, variety is the spice of life. Uh, and learning and developing your consultant skills, right? So being able to jump in and be an armchair expert, hear what your you know, client needs and thinks and really try to understand you know, what their needs are and then how can you help really having to you know, think pretty quickly on your toes to respond to these things. Absolutely all very fabulous and very useful. After five years of that, well, what I found though is that what I was missing was the part of seeing something through, right? You spend mm -hmm. so much time working with the consultant, trying to understand that, or with the client, trying to understand them and build this fantastic solution. And then you find out that they never ever shipped it. And it's like, why not? What happened? And you can't help but assume like, oh, they should have known better, but likely <laughs> on their side, there was something that happened, right? Things change, priorities change. Maybe they learned something new. Maybe the, you know, the right person wasn't there anymore. Uh, and so I really wanted to know what it was like to, to see something through. Mm. And so then I, I did, I, I went in-house, uh, I went to Airbnb and I uh, was there for several years. And what I gained out of that experience and what I just love now is that, yes, you know, you have an opportunity to, um, leverage those sales from being a consultant, right? Because in some cases, you know, I, I do feel like I you know, need to consult even within my organization, but I, I have the joy of being able to see things through. And when they hit hiccups, being able to continue on and the, you know, readdress it and redesign as necessary such that we can improve upon it and then learn on it and improve upon it. And now I have the, you know, added knowledge of why, you know, sometimes it's hard, you know, for consultants to engage, right? Because they don't necessarily have the same knowledge inside. And I think a really important thing for those consultants out there that I, I know they're seeing themselves is the, the changing environment. You know, when I was at Frog, 
most of the people we work with, like Intel, for example, didn't have the teams in-house. And a lot of our work was about educating about design thinking and design processes and user research so that they could, you know, do some more of that on their own. Now, many of those design consultants, when they're coming into an organization, um, are probably speaking to designers and design teams. You know, we hire sometimes consultants from the outside, and I just love it when they show up with a hundred page slide deck and it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't do that. Like we already know the whole <laughs> intro. We know how design works. Like, please right. just like, you know, here's right design design. thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so like, yeah, I think the yeah. engagement model needs to change now because well, they uh, should do the a environment little, is so different. <laughs> they should do a little deep dive into your LinkedIn just to know where your origins were for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To start from square one. But uh, I, you know what? Watching people's career paths, I think there's absolute value when you are able to go from either to step in both worlds, to be in the corporate side, to be in the consultancy side, and just to know what it's like to support that side of the process, right? Yeah. 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 I think Absolutely. when you're inside in a corporation, you really are the stewards for the corporation, right? And, and yet sometimes I have, and I, I know people like you, where you're, you're right, sometimes you need that external uh, trigger from an outside consultancy to bring that fresh point of view. Yeah, I, I I do think that can be really useful sometimes. And, you know, there, there are challenges to that, right? Like, you know, you like hire out the big idea or, you know, help us think differently and come up with our new strategy for the next five years. You know, that can mm -hmm. be really hard on your internal team. So, mm -hmm. you know, I do think you also have to consider when, you know, bringing in an outside group, like how is that going to, that work going to be integrated and leveraged? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why like, our best relationships with agencies, you know, are more like ongoing relationships. So they really start to understand our culture. We really, you know, work with them. It's not just this like one and done thing and they give us a project and they walk away. Uh, and that we've had way more success with. I love it. I want to go back to um, women in design, you know, and design leadership. Do you, I, I mean, where do you, well, and for you, it is about finding your mentors. And sometimes that mentorship, um, those role models come from different places. Where do you find your role models and mentors now? Sometimes, I mean, is it even outside of design, right? Could it be women in other corporate roles or or just a different scenario altogether? What's, yeah. what inspires you? Uh, where, because you're, you, where you stand now, it's, I mean, how big is your team now, for instance? It's like 180 or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I, well, one, I think you already called it out, but just to like you know, double click on it. I do think folks have to consider their mentor as a group of people, right? Mm. There's not really going to be one person that does it all for you. Exactly. And that there shouldn't, you know, you, it, having uh, a friend of mine calls it like their board of directors, which I just love that term, yes. right? And it's just like when you're shaping a board, you want somebody to bring a different mindset so that you have a much more like well-rounded, multifaceted view of the world. And so I guess I look at, you know, my, you know, who's, who do I have on speed dial kind of thing? And I have different people for different things. Uh, there are, you know, several design leaders that are fantastic to be able to reach out to. Kathy Courage and Steve Johnson and Vanessa Cho and Kate Aronowitz are, you 
know, folks that uh, on the regular, you know, I, I really enjoy speaking with because one, there's something lovely about connecting with people that, you know, know those same challenges um, and maybe we, we share in those and that's both like, just like, oh, good, somebody else is dealing with that it makes me feel so much better and, you know, a little less alone in this, you know, maybe they've solved it already. And so we can, you know, learn from each other in that. Um, and I really appreciate having that. But to your point, I do think it would be limiting to only talk to, you know, people that do the exact same thing I do. Uh, and so I just, um, one, I'm very thankful for a, you know, really strong, healthy group of friends from, you know, my past experiences, uh, school and other walks of life that, you know, actually it's fabulous that some of the very small silver lining of this whole COVID thing is that I now have a very regular tech stream with my high school friends, with my college <laughs> friends, you know, yes. like, this kind of happened yeah. in the Zoom universe. People do very different things, but we can kind of share each other, uh, share challenges and, and learn from each other in that. And part of it is like me making those, maintaining those relationships um, to some degree and, you know, checking in with each other. Um, and I think, you know, when somebody's considering, you know, expanding their board of directors, I think, you know, one tip that I've learned over the years is just also being very explicit with people, especially if they're new to you and they're not, you know, a close friend. It's just like, hey, I'm really inspired by this thing you did. I'd love to learn about it. And generally, you'll find that people are eager to share their time, especially when you can be pretty specific as to, you know, what you're reaching out for. Mm-hmm. I love, I love your perspective on that. And it, and knowing that each person brings a different insight. And I also hear, I love how your board of directors or advisors are different people from different spaces, both, in fact, both men and women, whether it's design or not. And I would also say that as your goals change, I would imagine that your board of advisors changes. You know, you bring somebody else on new that you will bring you that insight that you're looking for. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about pandemic and how, like what you reconnected with certain communities that you probably haven't connected with. How did you move through the pandemic? And oops, do you think design allows this, it's innate in the way our our education in design, right? Design thinking, the design process, kind of all stakeholders and that inclusiveness, I feel like is part of the Mm. design process. Does that, did that affect, do you see that if that, has affected your perspective throughout the pandemic different than others maybe or yeah oh it's really top of mind this topic you know even though yes we've been going through this for quite some time now Mm -hmm. uh it's it still continues to be top of mind and maybe even a little bit more because one i do think there are some really lovely outcomes of this i mean literally was just thinking this morning as i was having breakfast alongside my children and getting ready for the day and it was just like wow you know in the olden days i would be driving to work and you know getting ready to run out the door grabbing a quick breakfast it's like absolutely different now i have a little bit more of that time to be able to spend with my family or catch up on work or whatever it might be and here i am sitting in my home and i get to see my kids you know multiple times throughout the day but what's been super challenging and i know i'm not alone in this is that there is a, a bit of a difference in how we connect and that honestly i think it, it you know takes out a little bit of the joy in your everyday at work uh, so you know it used to be you know, you'd get to walk in the halls and like hey nice to see you or who the heck are you let's chat and I know it's trite, but the like the water cooler conversations and um, I, you know, without that, you know, you end up in these, you know, back at Zoom calls 
and it does feel a little bit more transactional, right? Like there's some chitter chatter in the beginning, but it's far less than it would be as the usual, like people are entering and leaving a room. And then, you know, I, I can't wait for Zoom to figure out like how to build a hallway in Zoom where we can like see each other on our way to our meetings. To your point about like, well, what about like, what's unique about the way design functions are, are handling or seeing this? Uh, I do think that there's something to the physicality of the creative pursuit, right? Like, I so much relied on your rooms where you cover the wall with the post-its from the learning and the sketches of the design work and people could walk by and be influenced by it. And we could just like look at the journey end to end. Like, I'm sorry, there's no real great substitute for that in even the, the multitude of software programs that are trying yeah. to do it. There's just a difference. There's a physicality that helps to enable some difference of creative thinking and connection that we just don't have. So yes, we are, of course, you know, leaning into making offsites happen more, right? So it's like, okay, if you're not using your office space for everyday uh, you know, desk sitting, can you use the space more for uh, offsites and gatherings? And, and we are doing that. And I think it's helping. But it, there, you know, I think there's still yet to be some nuts to be cracked and how to solve for this, because we're not ever going back to the way it it was as it was, and that's probably okay. But it does mean we have to solve for other things. Like I love the fact that we have a more distributed workforce. It means that we can be more diverse. It means we can li literally into the world's best talent because people can be virtually anywhere. And I, I do think that it also helps us just get in greater touch with our users because now we can have people in more places. But there's those negatives that we just haven't cracked yet. And I, I really do know that. It's not just me that feels that way and then think that there's some impact on the work for sure. And there's impact on the, the sense of joy in the everyday. Isn't it fascinating? Uh, it's yeah, it's absolutely fascinating what we miss in those water cooler moments, right? Yeah. The serendipitous moments of in between a meeting and connecting with someone that may not have been a, normally been on your team that you wouldn't talk to or just, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It, what you know, how does Stripe, how is Stripe handling this? Are we, okay, so we know that as job seekers, professionals, 90% of people want and love some, some level of remote or hybrid. And then on the employer side, we're seeing more than employers hoping that you can have someone on site, particularly in, on certain types of yeah. initiatives where you really feel like you need that interaction. You know, and you're talking about the post-it notes, like Miro or Mural still doesn't, you know, it doesn't play, it doesn't even allow you that, um, those serendipitous moments, right? So how do you, yeah. how are you guys managing? Yeah, well, Stripe actually embraced the distributed model even before COVID. We started experimenting Beautiful. with that. Yeah. And so, you know, COVID obviously just kind of sped that up a little bit. And, you know, with that, we gained a lot of benefits in that, you know, once everybody was remote, we started to learn how to do it better. You know, it was really hard at first. I, I know mm -hmm. others have experienced this when you have like one or two people remote and everyone else is in the, the conference room. Like, it's a really tough experience for those, you know, one or two people that are remote trying to get a word in edgewise. And so by having all of us go um, remote, we, we definitely got better at, at doing certain things and, um, you know, knowing how to set meetings up and be, you know, more, um, more transparent uh, through written communication and uh, setting up different forums that, you know, enable mm -hmm. both, you know, in person and not. 
but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's still, you know, it's probably one of the kind of like greatest unknowns. And I think important things to start to, fig to, to figure out is that how we can improve the, the sense of community and connection. You know, we just did our engagement survey, you know, and I, I see these things come through in the comments from the team of just like, a, hey, when, when can we all get together? Uh, and so absolutely, we are planning, you know, our team offsite, and I'm so excited about it. But I think there's, you know, it's not just going to be one that's going to solve the problem. Like I think right. it's various forms of connection and people getting together and being creative with how we get together. So not forcing people to all, you know, travel necessarily, but also just utilizing our digital platforms in more creative ways so that we can do this. The world is changing for sure. And the yeah. way business is, the way business works is going to just continue to change. I think in the next decade from what we hear, yeah. you know, how, yes. Our customers' value systems, the way logistics, supply chain, right? Brick and mortar to digital, back and forth. It's funny. Uh, I, yeah, we're, great we're opportunities not... for designers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Job security. <laughs> exactly. How crazy. You know, here you are, you're being the connective tissue for Stripe and where, you know, design ops is a new category, right? Service design being a new area of expertise within this creative industry. And now with the world of work in every industry, every sector continuously changing, design is perfectly positioned, not everyone, but the, the right, you know, people with the right combination of expertise there to kind of figure out what that new business model will be and how to convert from what was to what will be. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, actually, when we were working, um, Howie and I were working with Intel, uh, one of the conversations we often had, especially in a company like Intel, who's got incredible amounts of data and rigor behind it, uh, you know, I would hire a company like Frog at the time when they didn't have a lot of design in-house, is that, you know, you can't analyze your way to the future, right? Mm -hmm. Like as much as you're looking back in the rear view and thinking about like, okay, what was like, you know, did the person buy the thing or not? It doesn't spur the, the creative thinking that can come through asking what if. And, you know, that's what designers are, you know, well, that's probably why they're a designer. This should be is that like creative and humanistic uh, thought process that can allow us to think about like, well, could we do it this way instead? And, you know, explore the wild to mild ideas that can, you know, help us come up with a, a better path forward because we are treading in new waters. Like, you mm -hmm. know, history can tell us a lot and it's a fabulous jumping off point. Uh, but unless, you know, this isn't a, a situation where we rinse and repeat. I think design brings a really interesting perspective beyond looking back in history. It is the what if, and then beyond what if there's the iteration of moving through a model to say, does that work? Which is interesting because design understands that, but I don't think business in, in a lot of companies understands that you have to iterate through it. So where, what's your sense of that? And how do you walk you know, a corporation through that when majority of the business traditional business mindset or M is it MBA thinking that tends to think let's build a system and now we're just going to repeat it and to repeat it again and again, thus that is business success, right? But right now when you don't know what's up ahead and what will stick, how do you explain to them that repetitive failure iteration is what really gets them to, to that final, here's yeah. the version that works. Yeah, I, I like that speak, question. But how do you speak up that to that? Yeah. Explain that. Yeah, and you know, I, I know 
design thinking. I mean, I think it's gotten tossed around in a lot of bad ways, but I actually think what's at the core there isn't a bad thing. And really what you know, design thinking is to me, it's, you know, being humanistic. It's about being, you know, certainly creative. It's about thinking visually. Uh, it's about iteration. And these are the things that, you know, frankly, a lot of people can utilize, right? Like designers are certainly like, you know, they have some innate skills towards this and that they certainly, you know, depending on how they've been educated either through through the work or, you know, through schooling um, have developed that skill such that they can, you know, do this with great experience and um, expertise. However, like good ideas, you know, no one owns good ideas. Like right. good ideas can literally come from anywhere. But what, you know, that design thinking allows us to do is take a good idea and maybe visualize it in a way that's, you know, more rapid such that we can test it out. So like, just as you talked about, iteration is important, but key to that also is prototyping. You know, the mm -hmm. fact that like, we just, you know, have this like really powerful skill set that, you know, if you have an idea, well, let's visit, visualize it. Let's put it in a storyboard so we can all just wrap our heads around like, well, how would that actually feel? Or let's mock it up with, like, you know, even a paper, paper prototype and put it in front of a user and see what they think. You know, I, I don't think necessarily that, you know, MBAs are un incapable of thinking through those ideas, but I think sometimes they don't have those same tools to, in order to leverage those ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, you know, going back to my background, while I was at Art Center, that's where I studied design, I did a, essentially like a an exchange, an exchange program, I guess, of sorts, mm -hmm. uh, where um, I and several others went to INSEAD, which is a business school. Um, we were in the Singapore that's campus. program. Oh, so fantastic. But the uh, the thing about it is that we went, I went to learn about the business of design. So like if I ever wanted to start my own company or wanted to know how a product is made, like let me understand the, the dollars and cents of how these things happen. Absolutely. But what I actually learned, I mean, that that was a part of it. But what I really took away that certainly changed my life and changed my trajectory in the design world from then on was actually the power of, you know, MBA-like people working with design like people and the value that brings because we do this is kind of going back to what I was already saying before about you know a PM and an engineer and a designer bring a different mindset we do bring a different mindset we do like leap, you know think can come from a different point of view and we have different tools in our tool belt but like you mix those things together like really awesome things happen. And so I learned a lot from my MBA counterparts and they learned a lot from me. And when we worked together on something, you know, we had good ideas based on you know, data and rigor and we had, uh, you know, innovation and, and creativity and iteration uh, on top of that to enable these good ideas that were you know, more user-centered. And so that has just been a, you know, follow through on my career from that day is that, you know, it really helped me build a lot more empathy and respect and appreciation for others. And when I think about, you know, what a lot of people talk about is like the three legs of the stool or the triforce of you know engineering product and design although there's you know other disciplines involved of course is that it, in my mind i never picture it as three legs of the stool i picture of it as overlapping circles because we we do a lot better work together when you know i can understand a little bit of the language that you know a pm might leverage and you know what they care about and engineer now these aren't perfectly overlapping there it's a venn diagram but i think that's a key to success is in, in that collaboration and that you know kind of uh, way that we can work together I, abs I absolutely agree with you i think that and this we're at a beautiful inflection point i feel like where the business will will understand design thinking to a to a degree we, you know designers are not the only ones who have monopoly on design thinking and, and innovation. 
someone had explained to this once to me, someone is like, I'm, I'm horrible at numbers, but at least for me to know them, to know, and, and then value all my financial advisors and their perspectives to then understand how to collaborate with them and to work with them. It's like they're, you know, that's someone's expertise, but they're going to bring that to the table and I'm going to understand the value just as to, I feel like the world's going to start is, is literally right now understanding the value of design, strategy, innovation, and they're all taking, and it is a collaborative process. And I think if you can incorporate and bring everybody to the table, yeah, so much you know, more I, can happen. I mean, as a human on this earth, I, I can certainly attest to like, there are moments like maybe it's like in your relationship or it's at work and you know, you have a confrontation and you thought, you think to yourself like, oh, well, I'm sorry you misunderstood me, right? Like that's where a lot of us like jump to. Mm. Um, but I actually, I think we have to flip the script as often as possible and think like, well, they misunderstood me. What could I have done to help them better understand me better? Yes. And this is where I think we really have to, you know, speak into the listening of the individual. Mm. So, you know, if you're talking to like, let's say, you know, a PM or a data scientist or the CEO, uh, it's really critical that you understand, you know, what do they care about? What are the things yes. that they're looking for? What are the things that motivate, you know, their care and understanding? And, mm. you know, I'm sure they, I mean, I hope if they're, you know, good, they care about the users and they care about the impact, but how they understand that is maybe not through the story of, you know, one individual that you just met and you, you know, did research with, but maybe they care about it in terms of like, you know, how many are likely impacted by this, or what are the downstream ramifications, or what other things are going to be, you know, faster, better, more productive moving if we take this effort. And so if you speak into their listening, you have a much greater shot of them understanding you and taking action on your words. Uh, and I do think that's, you know, I, I know it's a lot to ask of uh, you know, various functions. And I think, you know, when we talk about the future of design and, you know, I, craft is so critical being really good at your skills and having great judgment for whatever it might be, you know, you're, if you're doing research, or you're doing design or whatever, but those communication skills and seeing where they fit into the bigger picture of the business are, you know, enablers to impact. And so they are important too. And I'm glad that, you know, the tools that we have at our disposal today help us design a lot better and faster such that now there is room for more of that, you know, kind of executive skill of communication and storytelling and, you know, building understanding in the business. So I don't think it's too much to ask for people to build those skills too. And I, I see really great things come from those that have been able to wield those skills well. Yeah. It's funny how I think most people go into design not thinking about communication. <laughs> and most people thinking, you know, my great design work will speak for itself. There's a, a an attraction to the beauty and the creation and solving problems, but not necessarily understanding the customer. And and you're right. Um, it, you know, I think when you don't, when you have a customer that doesn't, someone within a company that doesn't understand design's perspective, there's all, I, I actually, it's an incumbent, I think, upon creative professionals to know how to reach across the divide and to speak in their language, to hear it mm -hmm. from your, your point, Katie, hearing it from their perspective, hearing it from their vantage point, what are their goals, what are their challenges, how do we relay this in their vocabulary? In fact, I, you know, I remember meeting someone, in, I was on, on vacation in Hawaii, and um, I met someone who was a strategist who moved into 
the government there and and uh, he was he was saying look I don't even use my design vocabulary anymore because in that world it's not that's not the language that they know but I still employ my design thinking to bridge the gap between different parties and different divisions and it's interesting and, and learning how to speak in that their language yeah absolutely yeah. and I, I recognize you know at, at first blush and I've heard this before it's like oh does it mean we have to dampen our creative skill does that mean like you know I, I can't be authentic to my discipline and it's like, absolutely not you know I think actually designers uh, are storytellers and you can you know create you know really powerful moving uh, stories to tell but also like leverage those skills to know your audience and think about what's going to resonate best with them um, just as you would if you were going to be creating a product or you know something graphic to to help to tell that story that you just need to bring that sometimes in-house to your stakeholders too uh, and that you know the impact will come from that I think you know if you look at the the end result and in, in seeking that out then I think the means to get there and adapting that uh, is really just a, a part of becoming a stronger leader and one that can have more impact Beautiful. I love it. Katie. Oh my gosh. I think an hour has already gone by. <laughs> There's so much that we've talked about that. I think it's so beautiful to hear your perspective on your career design, you know, how the world is changing and where design steps in to impact all of this and help the world moving through change. Is there anything else that you'd love to share or talk about or I'm with you. I think we covered some good stuff. I don't yeah. know. Uh, I love it. Oh, and then now being a parent, I love to, you know, to the humanness of <laughs> what's it like being a parent? Talk about your, talking about uh, speaking to the customer in their language <laughs> to your two-year-old two twin. Oh my goodness. Oh my I have goodness. a nine-year-old. It's fascinating. Nine, you say, oh. you have to speak to them in their language. Totally. Well, and even going back to what we were saying earlier about explaining the why and not just telling them what to do. Mm. I, you know, I, I, our nanny is so very good with children and I'm like always like listening to how she talks to them to learn because this is my first rodeo here with these kids. And uh, I just love the way she will, I mean, they're two. So, you know, how much they understand of it is like, well, it's a surprising amount, but it's probably not the entirety of it. But nonetheless, she's explaining like, no, we don't do that because of this. And, you know, here I'm giving you this because of that. And I, I find that just so awesome because I recognize what, you know, what she's doing there is to, you know, build their, their judgment. And so, you know, rather than just saying, no, 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 it's, you know, helping them treat them like adults to help them really understand why. And, you know, I, I believe her that eventually that will show results and hopefully they will stop, you know, whacking each other and stealing each other's toys. <laughs> they are too. Well, the, there is something about having siblings. It's teaching you how to share. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm just waiting for that moment to uh, have been taught but in the meantime <laughs> oh my god that's funny yeah I think every parent goes through that wow so much that you shared Katie Katie thank you so much for just coming to this conversation and giving us an insight what it's like to lead uh, at your level leading design within um, a big corporation like Stripe and just to hear your path and how you've started and how you innately had that entrepreneurial spirit to try to solve problems from 14 on thank you thank you thank you for having me and howie if you're listening thanks for putting us in touch appreciate you both yep. so have a great weekend
Thank you too, Katie, for your, um, for your time. I appreciate it. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Um, oh, Katie, where can people find you if they have any questions for you? Do we just find you on LinkedIn? Uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, yeah, either of Twitter, those yeah. yeah, yeah, sure, okay. sure. Okay, yeah. um, and we'll, we'll include your links down below, obviously, uh, at the bottom of the podcast. For everyone, thank you so much for listening to Designing Futures. If you have any questions or any thoughts about what we talk about, there's something that we're missing that you'd like to hear about, about the, the business of design, the building a career in design, let us know. And um, feel free to always uh, you know, reach out to us and visit our websites, uh, www.yayideology.com. You can follow us on social at Yay Ideology. We do our LinkedIn Lives and uh, you'll see our posts on Facebook. And if you want to learn more about how to develop your career thriving in design, then head over to thrivebydesign.today. Everyone, see you later until next time. Bye.